Hey, LaGrange. I'm Earl Gordon Barnett, and you're listening to the only podcast about LaGrange, Georgia. If you've just discovered the show, feel free to go back to the archive and look through, the, look through to see the list of guests I've interviewed. Some standouts are local people of notoriety, Gail Jackson, Judge Marquette Baker, local chef Joy Sato, and Curtis Brown Jr. I suggest listening to my first episode as a bit of primer on the show to get a feel for what I'm attempting to do here. It's been a few weeks since I recorded anything. Sorry for the break. I was just wore down on my trip to Duke and Asheville. The tiredness just hit me all at once when we got home and I was out of commission for at least three days light up in bed, thinking I had the COVID. I didn't have the fever or cough, though. I eventually got better and back on the horse and started contacting people for possible interviews. This week was one of those. This week's interview is Chris Hagebach of the 807 Gallery of Art. He's also an internationally known artist. The interview stretches from his childhood in northern Michigan, where he lost a finger in a lawnmower accident, to learning ping pong from President Jimmy Carter when he was 10. Chris's stories border on being too big to be true, but he's legit and the real deal. And just when you think his stories can't get any better, he drops another one that's even bigger than the one prior. It's uncanny. I'm excited that my first week back is with this interview, though. Nothing like coming back with a bang. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as Chris and I enjoyed recording. Okay, I'm here with Chris Hageback of, well, he's the manager of 809 Gallery of Art, but he's also an internationally renowned portrait artist. How are you doing today? Thanks. Not, not doing bad at all. Okay. Um, well, we've covered your formal title, but what do you do here in LaGrange? Uh, here in LaGrange, I run uh, 809 Gallery. We're at 809 Hill Street. And my usual job from day to day is to paint portraits, and I teach lessons to kids and adults, mostly kids, but a few adults here and there. Okay. And I'm seeing a lot of wonderful art, works of art on the walls. Okay. Is this all you? Most of this is me. We've got a few bits and pieces that are by other artists. I've got some of my father's works in here. Um, my assistant, Isabel, she paints remarkably well, and she's got a few pieces on the wall. Uh, Stephen and Henry are also instructors here, and they both have a few pieces on the wall. But my, most of this is my work. Awesome. That's great. Would you say that this is what this artwork is what you're known for the, in and around the Grinch? Absolutely. Um, I'm primarily known as a portrait artist, but I work in a wide variety of media and styles. Um, back when I was teaching elementary school down in Valley, I had to be versatile enough in order to teach the children just about anything art related that I could think of and so I had to learn how to uh, how to work in several different styles and media in order to be able to teach it properly so I can do a lot of different kinds of artwork but I'm probably best known for the portrait work okay you said you taught elementary school down in Valley That's can you right. tell me a story yeah. about that um, I was hired believe it or not by the PTA 
rather than the school district to teach art as an elective in uh, a couple of the elementary schools down there, uh, Fairfax and Shawmut Elementaries. And this would be back about 2006, 2007. And um, I was very pleasantly surprised by the kids there because they, they thought that I was just the coolest teacher ever. And not only did I teach art, but I rode a motorcycle and wore a big, long black leather jacket. <laughs> and so that was a fun job. It was very rewarding to be able to, to teach that many kids. And so that was, that was a fun job. <laughs> so you rode a bike and wore a duster. Yeah, wore the duster. I was looking, I was styling. Those kids loved it. They'd be hanging out the window waving at me when I pulled into the parking lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so how long have you worked here at 809 Gallery? How long has 809 Gallery been open? Well, we opened in 2007, so we've been here for, we entered our, started our 14th year in, um, in April. So we've been here for 13 years and working on 14. Wow, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. That's impressive. Yeah, a lot of galleries don't stay open this long, but we've say, been yeah. lucky. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you had a law degree. This like is true. I, maybe I read that through my research on yeah. you. This is true. So what led to the transition from law to art? It's, I Believe it or not, I started as an artist. When I was in high school, I went to LaGrange High. And when I was in high school, I took every art class that I possibly could. Um, every art class that was offered and even took some art classes as an independent study. And then... When I was getting ready to go to college, everybody was telling me, you can't possibly make a living as an artist. You need to do something to make money. And so when I got to college, I majored in something that was a little more, quote unquote, useful than art. Little did I know. <laughs> but um, so I went on to law school after uh, graduating uh, from undergrad and got my degree in law. And I was a TV advertising personal injury lawyer for two, <laughs> for two years. And it, I discovered pretty quickly that it really wasn't the job for me. Don't let anybody tell you that making money is the most important thing. Happiness is a lot more important than money. And so once I realized that this was not really the profession that I, that I wanted to spend my life doing, that's when I decided to fall back on what I was familiar with, what I was happy doing. Okay. And I quickly realized that if, you're, if you do something that you really enjoy, then whatever it is, you can make a living at it. There's always a way to, to turn your passion into, um, into a way to get by. And that's exactly what happened to me. I, one day I threw in the towel on being an attorney and concentrated on the art after that. Wow. Yeah. A scary transition. It is. I can imagine. But once I got into the art, I realized that I was getting up in the morning looking forward to going to work, uh -huh. that I was doing something that I really enjoyed, and that makes all the difference in your life, let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> Earlier, you'd mentioned that you ran for state legislator, too. Right. In 1992, I ran for... Um, state house in South Carolina 
for District 19. Now, is that separate from the? Is that separate from these inj- personal injury lawyer? I was I was a personal injury lawyer at the at the time that I ran for state house, okay. because being an attorney, I was able to afford to be able to okay. to do it a little bit better than I could these days, um, <laughs> but. Um, it kind of went hand in hand with the job. Um, so that was interesting how it worked out. I really wasn't affiliated with a party um, at that time, so I ran as an independent, uh, the second most successful independent campaign in South Carolina history. Bam! Wow. Yep. Still lost, but <laughs> I got more than 30% of the of the vote, which is outrageous for an independent. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah, so I, I can't complain. It was that was a fun experience, and I learned a lot. And the campaign itself really did what I intended it to do. And you know, I what I was trying to do was to moderate my opponent a little bit and Mm -hmm. he became substantially more moderate as a result of having an independent do well against him so that's how that turned out awesome that was a it was a fun experience i don't know if i'd do it again because it's (laughs) a lot of work and it costs a fortune but it was uh some i got something out of it so it was fun law and art are very, very, very different. What do you think is unique about you that makes you good at what you do? Gotcha. The, you're absolutely right. The, I'm a completely different person as an artist than I was as a politician or an attorney. Okay. If somebody who knew me as an attorney met me today, they probably wouldn't recognize me as being the same person even. Okay. Because my my demeanor, the way I speak, the um, the way I dress, just about everything is completely different from the way it was back when I was an attorney. And this is, it's a transition that comes naturally because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, yes, law is one thing. You wear a business suit every mm-hmm. day and you... Um, and you're serious and argumentative and persuasive and all these things. And being an artist is v- much more ethereal and much more, um, there's a lot more room for self-expression and uh, creativity in art. And so as I transitioned out of being an attorney and being into an artist, I found myself changing as a person. Um, and not just esoterically, changing as a person substantially on the inside. Okay. And, um, and I felt like it was a positive change mm-hmm. because I was, it felt like I was being more true to myself. A lot of people, I think, go through life kind of playing a role mm-hmm. and they, they're trying to make an impression of who they are. And I felt that way when I was an attorney, that I felt like I was pretending to be something that I wasn't. And mm-hmm. now I don't feel like I'm doing that anymore. I feel like I'm much more my inner self, and I can behave more naturally as an, as an artist than I can as an attorney. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, you're being who you are. That's it. That's... that's both simple and profound. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, what motivates you? As an artist, what motivates you? 
I, I think my primary motivation, apart from the education aspect, my, aspect, the, my primary motivation is self-improvement. When, when I look back on work that I've done in the past, I see mistakes that I've made, I see ways that I could have improved that work, and I notice that over time I, I'm getting better and better and better, and there is no perfect. That was one of the hardest things for me to get a handle on when I started out as an artist was I wanted everything to be perfect, and there isn't a perfect. You'll you notice even after 20 years that you are continually improving. There are new things that you can learn. There are new techniques. You There's this one little shadow or this little line that you never really noticed before, but it's always there. And those little odds and ends ensure that the work continues to improve. And art is broad enough that there is always a new medium or a new technique or a new style to discover. So it's a, it's a growing process. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about art is you're never finished because there's always something else that you can do. Um, and that's, that's a motivating factor for me. I want to discover as much as I can in art. And I know I'll never get to the end because there isn't one. But it's a neat feeling to, to push myself along that way. Like It's almost like a journey to discover as much as I possibly can. That was so profound. I'm having a hard time following it up with anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what are you good at? What am I good at? I'm, you know, if if you ask other people, they'll tell you he's good at eyes. I can I can paint good eyes, and that's the. When it comes to portrait work, that's the thing you have to concentrate on because um, the eyes, you know, they say the eyes are the window to the soul. Well, when you look at a portrait painting, the, the first thing you look at is the eyes. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing I paint? The eyes, because I know if I get them wrong, I can crumple that piece of paper up or throw that canvas in the, in the back room and without having wasted a lot of time. I always do the eyes first, and so I get more practice out of eyes than I do anything else. This is what I'm good at. I'm good at eyes, and um, another thing is coffee. Uh, the coffee paintings are really, really popular because so few people, people, so few people do it. Um, there are only a few coffee artists here and there and few of them do portrait work, and so that's one of the things that has helped me become a little bit better known, is that I work in a medium that's not a traditional medium, and so that being unique uh, gives me an opportunity to stand out a little bit. Okay. And this is the, the work that's been exhibited in New York and London and Tokyo, those were all almost all uh, coffee portraits. Now, for my listeners who don't know, can you explain what you mean by coffee portraits a little bit? Okay. Um, I take, um, back in the, when I first started out, I would take brewed coffee and uh, about as dark as you can get it, very, very heavily brewed, almost thick, and use that coffee 
and a small brush and actually paint with the coffee as if it were watercolor paint. Um, very similar technique to watercolor. And over time I discovered that uh, instant coffee, particularly the cheapest instant coffee is the best, uh, those, uh, the instant coffee mixed very, very thickly, almost the the uh, consistency of motor oil okay. is a good, a good starting point for uh, using coffee as a, a painting tool. Um, so the coffee is actual physical coffee that I use to paint with, uh, almost like watercolor. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, but the, the exhibitions in New York and London and Tokyo and places like that, most of those have been coffee portraits, and those are the things that I'm known for. I'm good at faces, and um, so the work that winds up in those major exhibitions is always portrait work and just about always coffee. Not always always. I'm good at watercolor, I'm good at oil, but coffee is what I'm primarily known for because it's so unique. Gotcha. So when we were saying internationally known, yeah, yeah, we weren't exaggerating. No, really internationally known. This is true. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I've got paintings in museums, galleries, and homes in 27 countries on six continents. We'll return to that. We'll return to that <laughs> in the, the end with the random questions for fun. There you go. <laughs> what are the best resources that helped you along the way? Um, probably best resources were probably my father and grandfather who were both pretty good artists. My father was a good uh, caricaturist and watercolor painter and my grandfather was an oil landscape artist. Now these were, um, they did their art as uh, a sideline. This was just a fun thing for them. Grandpa was a dentist and my dad was a psychologist. But they both took art seriously enough that they made me feel comfortable um, in an artistic setting and made me feel comfortable learning about art. So I, they normalized art for me, which okay. is something a lot of folks I don't think even some professional artists can say is they they wouldn't be able to say that they grew up feeling that art was normal for them but mm -hmm. for me art was part of part of everyday life because uh, grandfather and, and my father were both reasonably accomplished artists and so I grew up with it and they encouraged it and it developed from there so it was something that I always felt comfortable with really can you go into a bit more detail about how they made you more comfortable? Sure. Uh, my, my grandfather, for example, uh, he had this ancient set of oil paints and he kept his tubed oils in this box that it was a beat up box. He had this beat up easel and uh, as it turns out, I've inherited this box of oil paints. This, it's been around more than a hundred years. Um, but when I watched my grandfather paint, I realized, without even, without even considering it, because he had a stressful job. He, he was a dentist. This was not something that you would be very comfortable with in the you know, 1960s. 
but when I watched him paint, you could feel the stress just melting off of him. It was an amazing thing. So I knew growing up that that art was something that could make you feel better, just generally, almost like a medication, that it would, it would help make you more comfortable in life. It would make you, um, it would be more fulfilling. And so these were the kinds of things that I learned without even realizing that I was learning them. It was just observations that, and, and feelings that I noticed as, as time went on. Um, my father uh, was a, quite a good caricaturist. And when people realized that he could draw, like he was, he was a dean of a university in, in northern Wisconsin for a while, and when the other administrators of the university discovered that he could draw, it was suddenly his responsibility to do all the t-shirt designs <laughs> and all of the posters and that kind of thing. And so, but he got so much joy out of, out of being asked to do this that I saw that in him as well, that he was, he was getting such a charge out of, out of being helpful and being artistic. And so I associated um, art from an early age with, with something that will help you, help you get rid of stress and help you be joyful. And, so, and that's kind of the way I look at it today, is um, it's, this is exactly the job for me because um, it, it does, it, I get the same thing out of it that my father got out of it, that my grandfather got out of it. It feels, it feels like I'm getting paid to do something that I, that I love so much, it's ridiculous I get paid to do this. <laughs> it's true. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd. America's older brother slash son-in-law slash next-door neighbor slash national treasure. Plus, I'm literally a superhero. The smallest one, but it still counts. Get comfortable. Take off your shoes. Things aren't exactly stable right now. Someone in your life told me that this uncertainty has you searching for answers about our current global health crisis. I think it's great that you're curious about the world around you. I'm curious, too. I hear that you're searching for some pretty big answers to some even bigger questions. There's a lot of information on the internet nowadays. Not all of it is true. You know, I once thought that I was dead because hashtag RIP Paul Rudd was trending. But after a lot of careful research, as well as a really hard slap to the face, I finally learned that I was in fact not dead. So before you share something with your friends and family, it's good to ask yourself how much you know about where that information is coming from. Is that article or video from a trusted news source? If you're not sure, look to see if other news sources have reported the same thing. A good way to know if an idea or story that you've read about holds water is if a majority of trusted sources agree on it. And finally, think critically. You're smart. You're intelligent. Your intelligence is the thing that told you not to take off your shoes when I told you to take off your shoes. It was weird that I did that. And you knew better. Hey, LaGrange has official merch. We're selling a cool coffee mug and a hot tea. And we're even selling a fundraising tea to support the LaGrange Food Bank. Check it out at heylagrange.bigcartel.com. That's heylagrange.bigcartel.com. 
and get you some today. Use code PODCAST for 10% off at checkout. I just want to take a second to let you know I've launched a Patreon page for the Halo Grange podcast. There's four levels of support that you can subscribe at, ranging from $4 as just a pat on the back. Think of it as buying me a coffee once a month for a job well done, to becoming an executive producer and getting your name included in the podcast for a larger contribution. There's also a sponsorship option where you can subscribe for $100 a month and I'll add your cause to my ads every week. Those spots are limited though, so you better grab them while they're hot. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Lagrange and sign up to support the podcast today. And as always, thank you. And now back to the show. Okay, Lagrange questions. What first brought you to Lagrange? What's the story behind moving here? Um, I first moved to Lagrange in nineteen. 19- 71. Wow. Boy, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, We moved from northern Wisconsin. We moved here because of my dad's uh, career change. Okay. He went from being college dean to to, uh, regional director for state health department, then region four director for Health and Human Services. So if you don't mind me asking, what did your dad do for the Department of Health? Um, here, his for the state, his job was to inspect state facilities to ensure that they were um, doing the code right, the um, uh, patients were getting the right kind of care. He okay. was like uh, kind of like an inspector, but okay. his job was more overseeing other inspectors so occasionally and he went to like new facilities that were opening up and he did ribbon cuttings and stuff like that okay that's how i met jimmy carter by the way this is a cool story okay cool. <laughs> um, back when there was a new mental health center that was opening up in noonan and my dad wanted to take me to this mental health center opening and so we went and one of the people there was Jimmy Carter. And so, and I'm a little kid. I'm like, you know, nine or 10 years old. And let me tell you, opening a mental health center is not the most exciting thing in the world. (laughs) So there are all these speakers and they're giving all these addresses about how wonderful this new mental health center is and I'm bored to tears. So I'm wandering around in this mental health center and I find the game room. This is fantastic stuff. So I go into the game room and there's a ping pong table in there. Now I'd never seen a ping pong table before, didn't know anything about them. And in walks this guy. And I was so happy to see somebody else because it gave me somebody to talk to. And he wanted to show me how to play ping pong. And so we, he showed me how to play ping pong, taught me how to keep score taught me how to hold the ball on the table with two fingers and flip it so that it'd spin out and then spin back. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I had no idea this guy was Jimmy Carter. <laughs> so he must have gotten bored from all the speeches, too. Uh, that, was, that was fun. You were well, taught to play ping pong by Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, yeah. Taught me how to play ping pong. <laughs> That's a fabulous story. Thanks. <laughs> that was fun. 
<laughs> That's probably better than the story behind moving the Lagrange. <laughs> yes, I think so too. <laughs> that was kind of dull, but yeah, the Jimmy Carter story is a good one. All right. So, what's your favorite subject to paint? I uh, really enjoy painting people, children in particular. Um, older people are more difficult to paint, but um, my favorite subject, usually children and um, faces in particular. Uh, full bodies are more difficult for me because I do, I concentrate on faces. And so if I do a full body portrait, the face is more difficult because it's that much smaller. So I like portraits, close-up portraits of faces and kids' faces in particular. Okay. You said that old people are more difficult, elderly mm -hmm. people are more difficult to this paint. This is true. Why is that? Older people are more difficult to paint in, uh, in colored media like uh, oil or watercolor or acrylic or gouache because the the coloring on older people is more complicated than it is on younger people. Um, babies are easy peasy to paint because babies have that just little pinky skin tone to them, the little, and they're soft and delicate, and they don't have little, uh, they don't have all the little wrinkles and blemishes and gotcha. odd, odd odds and ends that some of us older people have. <laughs> and so, um, and skin tones change uh, over time. And so, older people, and regardless of of skin color, older people have um, more complicated faces than younger people. Um, the skin's not quite as smooth. They have a little bit more character. They have that mole there that, you know. So those kinds of odds and ends make them a little bit more of a challenge. Yes. Okay. I thought maybe. My wife was just painting um, a portrait for someone, and it was her someone's mother mm -hmm. and father, and they're both elderly. Yeah. And she was cussing about the hands. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Old people hands are really hard to do. Yes. Hands in general are hard. Any artist will tell you. They're, yes. they're about the hardest thing. Hands, ears, feet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, hands are tough, and old people hands are real hard. Well, we covered what your favorite medium to paint in, paint in is, mm -hmm. so it's coffee, right? You bet. Yeah, I could paint coffee all day, every day. I love painting coffee. Okay. Here's one. What's your favorite story about living in LaGrange? <laughs> wow. There, there are a lot of things that I have enjoyed about living in LaGrange over the years. I remember, uh, remember band camp when I was in band in high school. I always loved band camp. Um, it happened toward the end of summer and it was uh, hot and uncomfortable and wonderful because I was with all these other people who were suffering through the same thing that I was, and it was all for a cause. It Commiseration. Was, yes, exactly right. And it was all for the music. and uh, That was such a wonderful experience because the, you, you, have a, you develop a certain camaraderie when you go through that kind of mm -hmm. suffering, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. So we, we did, we developed a lot of wonderful friendships just by by having to live through band camp. It's like basic and training. Exactly, like basic, exactly like basic training, in fact. A lot of marching and everything. Uh, 
I was listening to some of the kids in here, some of the other students the other day who were complaining about having to get ready for band camp. And so I was able to tell them the story. You know, it's not as bad as you might think it is. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's miserable. It's hard work. But those are, those are friends you will keep for a long time just by having to suffer through the same things together. Um, when I first moved to town, we lived in the Episcopal Rectory on... Uh, Greenwood Street, where mm-hmm. Alan Pruitt lives now, and in, in those days, that there were very few kids who lived anywhere within walking distance of that place. Um, there was a little girl who lived at the end of the street, um, about a block away, and then there was a boy my age who lived about three blocks in the other direction toward the high school. Okay, and that was. That was my world growing up, um, was the forest that was behind the Episcopal Church. Um, There's a little creek that runs through that forest. And most of those woods are gone now. They've been pulled out uh, in order to accommodate the thread. Mm -hmm. But I spent hours and hours and hours back there playing in 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 that woods with my little friend from the corner and the little girl from from the uh, from the corner at, up the street yeah she she became a famous actress she's but those were the only friends I had because nobody else lived anywhere nearby um, I went to Dawson elementary and then I went to Dunson elementary and I walked to both of those schools from the rectory and um, none of the other kids at those um, at the school lived anywhere near me um, except for the boy at the end of the street, Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teresa, the girl who lived on the corner, uh, she went to the academy, I think. And so um, not a whole lot of friends, but um, nice memories because there was it was, there was a wilderness back there that I could, <laughs> I could explore and go dig up old bottles and things like that. So that was, that's something that will always stick with me. Is I, I grew up in a place where I had opportunities for exploration that I wouldn't have had elsewhere, I think. Awesome. And how old were you when you moved to town? I was, I was 10 when I moved to town. I, got my, I remember this because I got my finger cut off when I was 9, and I still lived in Wisconsin when I got my finger cut off. So we moved to town when I was 10. Okay. Finger cut off. Um, my uh, right index finger. I was one of the first um, successful reattachment surgeries. Oh, okay. This finger was lopped off uh, in July of 1971 by my older brother with a lawnmower. Oh. And Tell uh, me that story. By all means, please, please, <laughs> it's, please. please. It's, there's no, it's not as exciting as it sounds. Um, my brother was using a push lawn mower. Thankfully, it wasn't a power mower, and he was uh, mowing a vacant lot. I guess he had been hired probably by the owner of the property to um, mow the vacant lot on the corner in Wisconsin, and I was helping by pulling up dandelions and throwing them into the lawnmower as he was pushing it. So I blame myself rather than my older brother, but... Yeah, my finger got caught in the blades and got lopped off right in the, at the middle knuckle. And so um, we ran back to the house. My parents weren't there. The babysitter was there. Now, <laughs> a 
being the babysitter, you would think that she would have been a little bit more observant about what was going on. But anyway, so she called the hospital, which was a block away, and had them send an ambulance a block away. And the ambulance came, and I was put in the ambulance and taken to the hospital. Um, and of course, uh, my father was furious because this ambulance ride cost fifty dollars, um, <laughs> which is a r ridiculous amount of money at the time. But um, and, and we could have gotten to the hospital a lot quicker if we had just ran to the hospital. Of course, <laughs> a block, um, a block. It, it it was literally a block. It was on the same street, Seventh Avenue West in Ashland, Wisconsin. Um, and uh, Dr. Joe Kay, and I still remember his name to this day, even even though I was nine at the time. He, um, I went into surgery, and he wanted to just take off the last two, you know, knuckles. And, mm -hmm. um, and my mother and I convinced him to try to do a reattachment. Okay. And it, we were not expecting it to be. A successful reattachment, but the the last two the the tip of my finger uh, from the center knuckle up those the that area doesn't have any nerves in it, but it must get up enough blood to be able to work. Um, but I can't I can't bend it right. Okay. And, um, but a successful reattachment, which at the time was very unusual because there's there's a lot to have to reattach and I guess with a finger it wouldn't be too bad there's not as much in a finger as there would be like in a hand or something uh -huh. like that but it turns out that this was a boon because the I'm right-handed this is my right index finger now essentially the top of this finger is dead okay I can't feel anything, but it's extraordinarily steady. Uh -huh. So if I'm holding a paintbrush, and I would hold the paintbrush between my right index finger and my thumb, if I'm holding a paintbrush, I can hold that brush extraordinarily steadily because that finger doesn't move around. Yeah. So when I'm painting, this allows me to to get amazing precision in things like eyes or hair or the inside of an ear, okay. things like that, that I wouldn't have been able to get if my finger had not mm -hmm. been lopped off when I was nine years old. So it turned out to be um, to be an actual benefit for me in the long run. So I, I thanked my older brother <laughs> many, many years later. I was going to ask how that would affect how that would affect your painting had it been lopped off, or how it would, how it affects your painting now. And it's actually very, very helpful. It's you've probably seen artists who use those sticks, and they put the stick against the the canvas, and then paint with their other hand. Uh -huh. It's the same principle. You you use the stick to steady your hand to be able to paint, uh -huh. and this works like a stick. So I'm using that steady finger, and it has really, I guarantee it, has helped my, my work. Well, that is just nifty. <laughs> All right, back to LaGrange. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. 
your highest point while living in LaGrange? Highest point? That would be um, about seven years after I opened the gallery. Um, I was invited to exhibit at the Tokyo Metropolitan Art Museum, mm-hmm. and that was a big deal. Uh, the way it happened was I had uh, a few exhibitions of other artists' work in here, uh, international exhibitions, people I had met online and befriended, and invited to submit paintings for exhibition here. And one of the exhibitions was, um, I picked 20 artists from 20 different countries. and. One of those artists was a Japanese lady, mm-hmm. and she does beautiful work. And then a couple of years later, we had an Asian exhibition, and I chose the same Japanese lady to exhibit there. And she had a relationship with Salon Blanc, which you may have heard of. Uh, Salon Blanc is a Japanese-French uh, uh, artist organization, and she was a pretty substantial part of that organization and she got in touch with me and said I think I owe you a favor I would like you to exhibit with us at the Tokyo Metropolitan Art Museum and I said thank you ma'am that's some pretty nice payback (laughs) and so uh, that's how that happened and it was so exciting for me because I've had a few a few museum exhibitions before then but this is the Tokyo Metropolitan Art Museum, yeah, and so impressive. Yeah, that was a big deal, and from there it really took off. But that was nice because I was able. I went to the exhibition. I met other artists who were in the exhibition, and um, so having having an opportunity to talk to those artists and develop develop those contacts has helped me tremendously develop a reputation with other art associations and with other museums and things and so it kind of kind of ballooned from there so yeah it kind of all snowballed from some generosity innocently enough right that was it was wonderful to be invited Uh, it's it's such an honor you know, now it's it happens all the time, <laughs> but back in those days, I was I was struggling. It was it was difficult for us to keep the doors open, and then all of a sudden, it's like somebody had walked into the room and thrown the doors open for me. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Um, what's your favorite spot or place in Lagrange? Could be restaurant. Could be can't be your own place. Can't be. Can't <laughs> Gee, be but that's that's the truth. <laughs> this is my favorite place. It's everybody's favorite place. Ask the kids. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I'll tell you. There's something that a lot of people in Lagrange miss, and I think I, I think we really need to put a little effort into paying more attention to it, and that's that lake. You know, okay. I came. I came from a place where I grew up on Lake Superior, and it's a wonderful, wonderful lake. But when I moved here, um, and at, of course, back in those days, it was the river and the backwater. And but 
we have this amazing resource that is absolutely gorgeous. And it, I feel like everybody's taking it for granted or neglecting it or just not even recognizing that, that it's there and the potential that it has. Literally my favorite place. If, if I had plenty of free time and just wanted to hang out somewhere, mm -hmm. it'd be Sunny Point Recreational Area <laughs> because it's a wonderful, beautiful place where I can wander around. It feels natural and free and clean. And, and there are lots and lots of these little recreational areas all dotted all around this lake that so few people you know seem to really appreciate and it's it's a beautiful place and I, I do i love that lake <laughs> okay all right so following up on that so mm -hmm. you say that's a hidden gem in the grange that no one else knows about that's too. what i think yeah okay that's what i'd say all right so Last question in this section. What is your favorite thing about living in or around LaGrange? I think the people. Um, one of the things that I noticed early on when I first moved to LaGrange was that the was that people here are polite. And I think I came to recognize that LaGrange is one of those unique locations where it's not too small. Because if it, if it was too small, then it wouldn't be convenient. And if it's not too large, if it's too large, then it's overwhelming. And so one thing I really like about LaGrange is that the people make it small enough to be polite, but large enough to be convenient. And so it's... Uh, this is it's a, a nice size and there's a certain anonymity in being in a town of 30,000 but then again every time you go to the grocery store you'll see somebody you know and so there's a friendly aspect to it too you don't have to be you don't have to be socially outgoing all the time because it's big enough to allow you to get away with that, but at the same time, it's small enough to be to be friendly. So I, I, I'd, I give a lot of credit to the people of Lagrange and their friendly nature without uh, without being overwhelming. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, random questions for fun. What are you most excited about right now? Oh wow! Right now, I'm excited about the students. Um, I have a lot of students who are developing to the point that they're able to exhibit in, um, in other locations, which is very exciting for me because that, that sh shows me not only have I guided them appropriately, but mm -hmm. that they're becoming experienced and talented enough to um, to be able to go off on their own if need be as artists in their own right okay I've got um, students who are uh, going about I've got about 10 or 12 students who are in the Twitter art exhibit at Myrtle Beach um, and that'll be later on this fall I think that exhibition opens on September the 4th 
But that's a, a giant international exhibition, you know, 800 mm-hmm. artists from all over the world, and 12 of my students are in that show. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, a couple of students who have exhibited at the National Art Center in Tokyo, uh, the New York Coffee Festival, London Coffee Festival. Um, last year, they, uh, I had about 10 students who were in the TAE 19 exhibition in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is, that, and that's what's so exciting for me, is, you know, I like being in exhibitions myself, but it's really exciting for me to see my students succeed, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's what I find exciting. You have no professional training in art, correct? None at all. None at the no. postgraduate, none at the post-secondary level, Right. Okay? The I took all of the art that I possibly could in high school, and of course I grew up around it, mm-hmm. with my dad and my grandfather both being artists, but I don't have an art degree. I'm, uh, everything that I know is either self-taught or private lessons or learned through experience or by watching my, my dad or my grandfather. Um, so. You know, if, if I wanted to get a job as a museum director, I'd be horribly unqualified for this because I don't have the degree. But I do have all the experience. Yeah, so. yeah I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to discredit you by any no, means. No, no, that's, that's fine. No, I'm, just, I'm more impressed. Oh, thank you. But I, I'll be honest with you, I should have majored in art when I was in college. I just didn't realize that I could make a living at it because mm-hmm. everybody said you can't. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is, it's a great career. Golly, oh man, I get up in the morning, I'm like, hot dog, I get to go to work today. How many people can say that? You know, mm-hmm. you can, I can count on, on one hand the number of people who love getting up and going to work. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's a good feeling, man. <laughs> so. Okay, because we're in random questions for fun, mm-hmm. what's your favorite art related movie? Oh my goodness! You would have to ask. Uh, art-related movie? Are there any art-related movies? Lots. You know, I saw I saw the new Stephen King's It, uh, <laughs> and it had a Modigliani painting in it, and the Modigliani painting was scary and terrifying. Well, it's you know Modigliani. He is pretty <laughs> tragic character, but. Uh, I saw that painting and, and I was thrilled that somebody had put a Modigliani in a in a movie. But other than that, no, I, you know, there there have been a few a few good art movies over the years, but eh, eh, we can leave it with the there, Modigliani. There, yeah, there 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 are other things I pay attention to. <laughs> All right, Beatles or Rolling Stones? The Beatles, but not by much. Um, I, I give the I give the Beatles the edge for innovation. Um, okay. And but I give the Stones credit for um, perseverance. Okay. <laughs> All right. I can respect that answer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite food? Completely favorite off food. topic. But what's your favorite the, food? You know it. I think people's favorite foods change over time. I think, you know, your, your tastes change when you're a kid. You might like, uh, you know, sweets or something like that. But I noticed recently that if I have my druthers and if I can eat anything I want, 
real Japanese ramen mm. is the greatest thing there is. It's healthy. It's got everything in it. It's you know this is. It's not like American ramen. This is this is like a broth that's got wonderful chubby noodles in it, and it's got pieces of um, pork or beef or chicken or whatever, and it's got uh, a little half an egg in it, and uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. So that's my favorite thing. Is okay. When I go to Tokyo, that's what I seek out. I watch where the businessmen go and eat, mm-hmm. and then I follow them because I know what they're going to be eating, and mm-hmm. it's probably the best because... Mm-hmm. If, if you watch where the locals go, they go to the place that's cheap and good. And so that's what I do. I follow them into the ramen shops, and I'm, I haven't been disappointed yet. Awesome. It's a good plan. <laughs> All right. So what's your favorite beverage? Coffee. Coffee? Absolutely. Um, Paint with it, you drink without, it? Yeah, without question. I get up in the morning, the very first thing I do is start that coffee maker. And while I'm painting here... Um, if I'm painting in coffee, I use a little dish that has the instant mix that I put together. But then I've also got my regular cup of coffee that I drink. And I'll dip that brush in that regular cup of coffee just to get a nice wash on the paper mm-hmm. before I get started. So, yeah, I literally do love coffee and not just to paint with. I'm, well, drink about a couple of pots of coffee a day. <laughs> it's quite good. There's a question. What inspired you to start painting with coffee? Good question. Um, About 15 or 16 years ago, I I needed to age some paper so that it looked like it was old parchment. Mm -hmm. And I knew about tea staining because Mm -hmm. tea staining is a tried and true technique for aging paper. And so I thought I'd try that, but then I thought, well... I need it to look really beat up and old. Maybe coffee will work as well as tea. Mm-hmm. And it did. It worked wonderful. I've got this nice, rich, deep brown that was a pretty color. And it, as it dried, it made little crinkles and wrinkles and um, wonderful bits in the paper that made it look like it was ancient parchment. And so a few years after that, I got to thinking, well... If I can age paper this way with coffee, maybe I could do background effects in a painting with coffee. And so I used coffee as a wash to do um, like mountains and um, clouds, distant clouds, a little rain here and there uh, as background elements in landscape style painting. And then I got to thinking, if I can do a landscape style painting, in the background with coffee, maybe I can do a subject in coffee. And so I, the very first portrait that I did was one of my students, Isabel. And I discovered pretty quickly that the coffee that's brewed isn't heavy enough to get good darks. I had to layer and layer and layer and layer, but it worked. I could use coffee as a way to, to make a realistic portrait. Mm-hmm. And this, it was, so it was just a progression. and But it was a surprise at the same time because I don't know how I broke out of the idea of just using it as a way to age paper and get into um, 
using it as a background element, but I'm sure glad I did because from there I just progressed. You know, I never would have thought to do a portrait if I hadn't done mm-hmm. the background elements first. And so I'm, and I'm really happy with the way that it's developed. Um, I, I keep learning new things about how coffee works as a medium. And that's nice too because that gives me something else to explore. I never get in a rut because I'm always doing something different with it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested to see where it goes from here. <laughs> awesome. All right, last question. If you didn't do this job, what would you be doing? If I didn't do this job, I'd probably be teaching um, elementary school or newspaper editor. I was a newspaper editor immediately after I graduated from college and enjoyed that job. this was before I went to law school. And I enjoyed working as a newspaper editor because I'm kind of a curious person anyway. And, um, and I have a deep sense of following the rules. And one of the things you have to do as a newspaper editor is there, there are deadlines and schedules. You, this piece of, of copy has to fit in this box and that picture has to be exactly this size. And I like those kinds of rules because that, that, that appeals to my math brain. Uh-huh. And so um, if, I wasn't, if I wasn't an artist, I would probably go back to newspapers or to teaching. Okay. Uh, and teaching as uh, on the, in the elementary school level. Uh, both of those were jobs that I, that I really got a charge out of. Okay. Was there anything in this interview I should have asked you but didn't? I think you covered everything. This is awesome. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think I've ever had an interview where I was quite this comfortable. This is nice. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Well, where can our listeners connect with you? Um, boy, I don't use telephones. Okay. I had a horrible telephone accident about five years ago and have not used telephones since. All right. I, u- I use them to take pictures with, but... Other than that, I, I don't have a phone number or anything. The easiest way to get in touch with me is find the gallery, 809 Gallery, on Facebook. And you can message me on there. Um, I've got a personal account on Facebook. I've got a fan account on Facebook. Um, I do Instagram. Uh, and we do snail mail here, too. You can actually send me a letter. So, <laughs> uh, so 809, 809 Hill Street, Hill correct? Street. Yep, that's me. LaGrange, Georgia, 30241. One. All right. <laughs> well, this has been Chris Hagebeck of 809 Gallery, and thank you so much for sitting down with me. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was the interview. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you like what you heard, show your support with a $4 donation on www.patreon.com forward slash Lagrange. Don't forget to follow on social media and leave us a comment and review on whatever podcast platform you listened on. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider sharing it with someone else you think will enjoy it as well. Email me your thoughts on today's show at earlgbarnett at gmail.com. Subscribe and like wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment for bonus points. Follow at Earl Barnett on Twitter, at Earl G. Barnett on Instagram. Follow the podcast at Hey LaGrange on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week, and remember that creativity takes courage.